0: Listen now as I read to you God's Word, first from the Old Testament, from the 139th Psalm, and I'm reading to you from today's English version. Listen now to these verses from the 139th Psalm Examine me, God, and know my mind, test me, and discover my thoughts. Find out if there is any deceit in me, and guide me in the eternal way. And then turn with me now to the New Testament, and I'm reading again from today's English version, and we are looking at the fourth chapter of John. Jesus is in Samaria, and he's speaking to the Samaritan woman, and we pick up right in the middle at the 28th verse of the fourth chapter. Listen to God's word. Then the woman left her water jar and went back to town and said to the people there, Come and see the man who told me everything I had ever done. Could he be the Messiah? So they left the town and went to Jesus. And so ends our reading from God's word. As I thought about what to say, I could not help but
1: reflect upon the 139th Psalm. The fact that in it there is pointed out for us the way everlasting. I've always been of the opinion that if we can ever commit into our minds a portion of scripture and learn the true meaning of that passage of scripture, so that even in the Hours of sickness or heartache or whatever may befall us, we can recall the strength and the power of God's word that it can be a great blessing to us. And I suppose I thought about this a good deal today because Vietnam has been so much on my mind and heart. 10 years ago, I received an opportunity to go to South Vietnam and the night before I was to leave, some orders which had not been received, I, I received a telephone call regarding them. I had not received them. and It was necessary to send a courier plane to deliver them. Of course, I was very excited about all of that. But when the secretary called me from the office in Washington We had just sat down for our evening meal. The phone rang. I picked it up. The explanation was made about how the delivery of orders would be made. I asked the woman just as I'm always asking people to pray for me. I did not know anything about her at all. She muttered something in a broken kind of voice that she would pray. I said the blessing at our table and then afterwards I looked up at my family and I said something is wrong with that woman to whom I was talking. I had the telephone number so I dialed it back immediately. The phone rang The secretary answered, and I said, is anything wrong with you? And the woman broke down sobbing in tears, and I said, look, I don't know you, but I know God, and God knows you, and whatever your needs are, God can meet those needs if you are willing to yield your life to him. I could tell that she was a person in the most desperate straits. And I prayed as hard as I could. I tried to recall verses of scripture. And I asked her to write down on a piece of paper Psalm 139. And I said, will you take this psalm and read it and read it and read it tonight. She sobbed out, yes. Sometime later I received, after I'd gone to Vietnam and returned, there was a letter waiting for me here. The letter was written in long hand. Inside was a check for 15 or $20. The woman said to me, I don't know you, but I want to thank you for what you said on the telephone and for that passage of scripture, because she said that literally saved my life. That's been the experience of more than one person when they have taken this 139th psalm and contemplated its full meaning. The psalm easily breaks itself up into a hymn of six verses per stanza. The first six verses read like this. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Do you see what he is saying here? Thou and me. The psalmist realizes that if there was not a thou, if there was not a God, then there would not be a me. And so the psalmist said, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Does it frighten you to realize that God knows all about you? The little catechism which our children recite says, can I see God? And the answer is, no, I cannot see God, but he always sees me. Do you remember in the book of Genesis, in the third chapter, when Adam had sinned, and how in the cool of the evening as God had fellowship with his creatures, that Adam and Eve have hidden, God comes for the fellowship with them, figuratively. His voice calls out, Adam, where art thou? He was trying to hide. The answer comes back, we hid from thee because we were naked. Another question comes, who told you? That you were naked. We always try to hide from God to get away from him. The only place that you will ever really find any satisfaction here is to go straight to God. Not to try to run away from him. Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. I sometimes am surprised and startled at my own heart and some of the things that I say, I don't know how many times my wife has said to me when I, she would remind me of something I'd said and I'd say, I never said anything like that and all the time the words are in my mouth I know full well I had said it. The Lord has given us wives to keep us humble. Uh, and, uh, and it's good for us. The psalmist here takes a great deal of comfort in the fact that, that God knows all about him. He's quit trying to hide or to have any secret from God. And that's a very precious thing. Dr. Alexander White was the distinguished minister of Free St. George's in Edinburgh. Dr. H. H. Thompson used to live here in Montreat and was the director of our evangelism program at one time in the Presbyterian Church. Dr. Thompson had been at New College in Edinburgh when Alexander White was principal of New College. And once we were talking right here on Montreat Road about Dr. Alexander White, the greatest preacher that Edinburgh ever produced, And he said that he could never forget going into Alexander White's church on Sunday, and you could never, a little like the Montreat Church, you could never tell what was going to happen. And uh, he said that Alexander White stood up and he told the congregation, he said, it is a bright spring morning. The sun is shining outside. And he said, the people in Edinburgh are walking down Princess Street, and you see a man you know. There is on his face a smile of smug satisfaction. He said, you do not know if he is smiling because of the brightness of the sunshine of the day, or because his little daughter has just kissed him goodbye, or because he's just heard that his enemy has dropped dead. Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful. Who can know it? God knows it. And because he knows it, the psalmist is happy that God has turned the searchlight on the secret places of his heart, and the psalmist can say that God knows me, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me, thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising, thou understandest my thoughts afar off, thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Isn't that a tremendous expression of faith? None of us could have written it. And yet all of us feel very much like it. Someone told me about a little girl who was trying to repeat the Lord's Prayer at night. And she said, our Father who art in heaven, how did you know my name? (laughs) Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high I cannot attain unto it. God knows me. He not only knows all things, but he knows me, the experience that God is all knowing and that he knows all about me. Isn't it wonderful to have someone from whom you do not have to hide anything? No secrets at all. The second stanza begins, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall uphold me." I wonder how many pilots have thought about that hymn, The Wings of the Wind, The Wings of the Morning. remember the first time I ever made a long flight in commercial aviation. It was back in the old days of Idlewild Airport in New York, and I flew out to... uh, Dakar on the coast of West Africa, and at that time that was the longest overwater flight in commercial aviation. I was reading this very psalm. I looked out of the window and I saw the waves. Then, when we landed at Dakar, and I stepped down for the first time on the continent of Africa, the thought suddenly gripped me. God already beat you out of here. (laughs) He got there ahead of me, and it gave me a great deal of comfort to know that God was not only everywhere, but that he was everywhere with me. And that makes such a difference in life, and may I say to these young friends who will soon be headed in many different directions, always remember that God knows all about you and he loves you. He wants you to experience that knowledge of him, and he wants you to realize that he will always be with you, no matter where you go. Francis Thompson was one of the greatest poets in the history of the English language. Francis Thompson's father had been a rather tyrannical man who had wanted his son to study medicine, and had insisted on his going to the University of Manchester and studying medicine. The boy went there, but he did not make a success. He became addicted to drugs. His father turned him out and he went into the worst degradation, into the city of London, where he sold matches on the street, where he shined in black boots. But there was back in his soul the soul of a poet. He had seen and picked up a little literary magazine, and he wrote some verse, and mailed it in to the Maynells, who were publishers of that literary paper. The Maynells saw in his verse already the signs of genius, and they looked everywhere for him. And when they found him, they were shocked when they looked at him. This is the way Wilfred Maynell described his appearance. No such figure had been looked for, more ragged and unkempt than any beggar, with no shirt under his coat and bare feet and broken boots. And so this fine Roman Catholic family took this man in. They sheltered him. He had tried to run away from God. And the greatest piece of poetry he ever wrote was the Hound of Heaven the God that pursues, who will never allow me to get away from him. Later, when he described his condition, how he had tried to flee from God in so many ways, he wrote, I fled him. Down the night and down the days, I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. In the midst of tears, I hid from him and under running laughter. Up bestayed hopes I sped and shot precipitated adown down titanic glooms of chasmed fears. From those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed and majestic instancy, they beat and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. And then when he finally realized that the hound of heaven who was following him every place was none other than the good and loving God pursuing after him, he yielded. And then he saw how blind he had been to try to run away from God. He saw how God had only been seeking to protect him from those things which would have harmed him and how God demonstrated his love for him. The third stanza of this great psalm begins with verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. This has to do with the whole emotional makeup of the man that God saw him before he was ever made. When his skeletal body was being knit together in his mother's womb. God was watching over him. I sometimes wish that those people who speak so cavalier and recklessly about abortion would take the trouble to go back and read this psalm. I don't think they'd speak that way. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my days were written. Isn't that interesting? He could see all the days. He was a good Presbyterian. (laughs) All my days. This is an affirmation of predestination. All my days which were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. This is a great statement. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them, if I should count them! They are more in number than the sand. And I've always treasured these words. When I awake, I am still with thee. He would fall asleep at night contemplating the majesty and the sovereignty of God, and when he woke up in the morning, he could say, When I awake, I am still with thee. Isn't that a tremendous statement of faith? Now then, we come to the verses that are left out in our hymnal and usually left out when pastors read this. It comes like the blast of a furnace. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. We say, how could this man who is capable of such tremendous expression of the majesty and awe of God, talking about God's presence everywhere and everywhere with him, talking about God having made him, talking about God having known him. How could he possibly say such harsh, hard things as this? Well, the psalmist here seeks to identify himself with righteousness, and I I'm sure that this is one of those things that is missing today in our society where morals are considered as only relative and no absolute standards are being put forward or adhered to by many. If God is, God is absolute. If you are cut loose on a sea of speculation, just writing your own rules as you go along doing what every man thinks is right in his own eyes, then you're wrong. I brought into the pulpit with me today one of the most distinguished journals of higher education, the intercollegiate review. In it, Will Herberg, who is a famous philosopher, reported a widely circulated incident that occurred in the press a few years ago of how a young woman was being attacked at the foot of the stairs in a hallway of a building in the Bronx. A number of men came out at the first landing to see what was going on. They saw and they returned to their own business which was, believe it or not, passing a resolution on world peace and racial justice. You see, they were the executive committee of one of the best-known liberal organizations in the city. They were already deeply interested in the welfare of their fellow men in the abstract, at a distance, by way of passing a resolution or making a speech. The more humanitarianism in the abstract, apparently the less humanity in the concrete. And Herberg says this is a result of trying to write your own moral code. And the peril of our day, he says, is that we think that morals do not matter. That all that matters is whether or not you have fun in life. Well, if you wish to criticize the psalmist for speaking here and identifying himself with the side of righteousness, he has tried to see what is in keeping with God's justice and come out on the side of what is right, even if it costs him. And if his expression is harsh and a surprise to you, just remember that he is doing his dead-level best to be identified with what is right. And if he be criticized too far, then all you have to do is come to the end of the psalm and you find his matchless prayer. Search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Can you say that today? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Is there anything that stands between you and God? Try me and know my thoughts. Any unconfessed sin, any harboring of something that's wrong and evil. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting." Now that's why Jesus died on a cross. He died on a cross for the difference between right and wrong. And When we follow him, he means for us to take up that ensign of his, that cross, and follow him. President Vaughn has already indicated that John Bolton will be our commencement speaker next Sunday afternoon. What a thrill it will be to hear that Great Christian speech. John Bolton told me that when the Lord came home to him in a forceful way and convicted him of his sins, that he had been contemplating the cross of Jesus Christ. He had fallen asleep. And in his sleep he had a dream. He dreamed that he saw Jesus going toward Golgotha carrying his heavy cross. The crowds were all jeering. The Roman soldiers were beating him. One brutal Roman soldier came forward and cut the lash across his back and John saw the blood run and he couldn't stand it. He was seeing all of this in a dream. And he ran and caught hold of the Roman soldier. Big German that John is and he pulled the Roman around. And John said, when the Roman soldier looked at me, I was looking right at my face. I was the one who was beating Christ. It was for me that he died on the cross. And when he realized that, what could he do but yield his life to the one who had died for him? Two weeks ago, we studied about Thomas who didn't realize that Jesus heard the words that he had said. Nathaniel didn't realize that Jesus had heard him under the fig tree when he spoke. Nicodemus came to him under the cover of darkness. And yet our Lord Jesus knows all about us. And he loves us in spite of what our sins did to him. When he talked to that woman at the well of Samaria. He talked to her about her sinful past. She left that water jar and ran away into the city. She called to the people in the streets. Men. And said, come with me. And see a man who told me all the things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? That's the way everlasting. Let us stand in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, it seems like our lives are sometimes nothing but a long argument between you and us as to who shall have control of our lives. Therefore, we come to thee trying not to be stupid and silly, trying not to play at church or to play at the Christian faith, but knowing that you see right through us that the veneer which we polish so carefully for everyone else to see does not hide us from your searching glance and yet we know our Father that the glance which searches over us is meant for a purpose that is good to show us that you love us with a love that will never let us go. So help us when we look inwardly not to be depressed but to know that you who have made us, have made us for a purpose, and that purpose is that our sins may be forgiven and that we may have joy and fellowship with thee. Let no person who hears these words today think for one moment that they have drifted beyond your love and care, and make every single person who has heard these words to realize that the God who knows everything knows each one of us personally that the God who is everywhere present is always with us and that this is no surprise because he has made us and that he wants us to be identified with what is right and to walk in the way everlasting. Lead us to that commitment this day in Jesus name. Amen.